You guys can take your seats. Thank you, band. You're incredible. So excited to be bringing the word tonight. We're in this series on evangelism, but before we get into it, I just want to welcome some people who've come from far, far away, and they're on the second row, and uh, there's two parties. There's um, Terry and Kerry. They've come all the way from Bayview. So... But then uh, also got some friends all the way from Baghdad. So we've got, guys, I don't want to embarrass you, but would you just stand for a moment? Um, we've got Samara, Basima, and Anmar. They live on our street, and uh, they've been here once before, but welcome. Actually, um, I know Nat's been practicing Arabic, so I'm going to get her to teach us how to say welcome in Arabic. Marhaba. Masahil. <laughs> yeah, I think we can, yeah, let's, let's give it up for that. Come on, incredible learning Arabic. Um, and yeah, while we're there, I just want to honor Pastor Nat and Hearts. You know, honor never gets old, so um, let's give it up for our pastors, incredible, incredible pastors. So we're in this series on evangelism, and uh, I had... A, um, someone trying to evangelize me this morning, actually, so I was on, on the receiving end, and I had a buzz at the door, and live in an apartment, so I went to check the screen, because you always want to see who it is, and it was an odd hour, so I thought, who could it be? And all I could see, because they were standing too close to the camera, was a suit, and I thought, okay, this is, this is interesting, it's Sunday morning, who's coming around in a suit? So I picked up the phone and I said hello and um, it was this man and he, he spoke with an African accent and then he took a step back and he said, hello sir, good morning. And I said, oh, good morning. And he said, um, can I tell you about God? And um, I said, oh, now's not a really good time. Because <laughs> it wasn't. And he said, that's okay. Um, would you let me just put something in your letterbox for you? And I said, yeah, sure, um, that, sounds, that sounds pretty cool, um, put it in the letterbox. And he said, no problem, and if you, have a read of it, and if you ever want to get in touch, let me know. I said, great, and off he went. And I was kind of left intrigued for the rest of the day, and, you know, for the rest of the day, I was thinking, I better go and check the letterbox. But I was intrigued by his approach. I'd never actually heard anyone say that. You know, can I leave you something in your... Actually ask me, can I leave you something in your letterbox? Like, it was quite polite to ask me, can, you, can I leave you something in your letterbox? And so I haven't checked it yet, but as soon as I get home, I want to check the letterbox. <laughs> but contrast that to a couple of weeks ago where we had someone else come and actually kind of break into the apartment because it's a secure apartment and come to the door and try and tell us about Mother God and... Um, you know, we, we, we actually were talking about it and we found it a bit confronting because someone had kind of breached the security of the building and were kind of imposing themselves on you um, and to try and, and share their message. Um, but I think the church has always um, been creative with, with evangelism and has always had to change with the times. Does everyone agree with that? So... I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, obviously, there are many different ways we can evangelize, and I'm not going to talk about the different ways too much, 
Um, obviously, there's the first one, which is being a light. So, uh, doing good works, being a good example, um, putting up a Bible on a Bible scripture on Instagram. Um, you know, putting a fish symbol on your car. But it's more than that as well. It's having good character and integrity and being set apart so that people will look at you and say, wow, there is something different about you. What is it? Um, And that's a great way to evangelize. Another way, second way, is to invite someone to church or to a church event. Fantastic. And a lot of you do that. um, Do that really well. And I guess you're, you're bringing them here in the hope that they'll hear the gospel and actually come to Jesus. The third way, really, really important, um, praying for people. Um, I don't really need to say much more about that, but praying for people to come to know the Lord. And the fourth way is actually telling people and communicating the gospel through words. And that's probably my least favorite. Um, I'm, I'm more than comfortable to do the, the first three, but actually telling people and sharing the gospel with people when I'm not behind the pulpit, I actually find it quite challenging. Um, because I think I have a lot of fears that you probably have as well. And that is, I'm afraid that I'm going to offend them. I'm afraid that they're going to ask me something I don't know how to answer. Um, and I'm afraid that, um, well, they, they just won't get saved after I've tried to share the gospel with them. Can anyone relate to that? Yeah, a lot of hands going up in the place. Well, um, yeah, I, fear of rejection and I think the underlying thing is I don't think God's going to come through so when I'm afraid to to actually share my faith and to tell someone about Jesus the underlying fear is I'm actually afraid that God's not going to come through and so I hold back and so if we can deal with that fear then we'll find ourselves being able um, to share our faith Um, so I want to share a gospel message tonight Um, So it's going to be a little bit different tonight. I'm just going to share a gospel message, and I'm going to put four main points on this whiteboard, and I'm believing that these four points that I'm going to pull out of my message will actually help you um, formulate a gospel message for yourself to actually share with someone. Is that cool? Um, So I'll just share the message, and I'm not really going to say much more about these four points, but I'm believing that these four points will actually speak to your heart so much that if you take them down and if you write them down and meditate on them and let them actually um, change your heart, you'll find yourself being able, um, actually equipped to talk to someone about their faith. Cool? Awesome. So, I'm speaking from Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. A few years ago, I was at a church Uh, conference and Randy Clark a great healing evangelist was preaching and he started preaching and he said hey guys while I'm preaching people are going to get healed and he said I'm going to preach and I'm not going to do a preach about healing but I'm going to preach and if you get healed or if you feel like you're getting healed or if you want to be healed 
Just stand up where you are while I'm preaching and make yourself known to me, grab my attention, and I'll acknowledge you, I'll look at you, and I'll just say these words. I'll say, healed in Jesus' name. Healed in Jesus' name. And then you can sit down. Actually, he said, you are healed in Jesus' name. That's what he said. He said, I'll say those words. You are healed in Jesus' name, and you can sit down. And it was quite amazing. While he was preaching, a number of people would actually get up every few minutes. Someone would rise up and um, put their hands up, and Randy would see him, and he'd just say, you are healed in Jesus' name. And then they'd just sit back down, and the crowd would go wild for a moment, and then um, they'd sit back down. Here in this story, we've got uh, a similar kind of thing. Uh, we've got a paralytic who desperately wants healing. Um, the only problem is, without the use of his legs, he can't get in close enough proximity of Jesus um, to get that healing. Word's been going around, Jesus is moving through the cities and healing people left, right and centre. This guy wants that. He can't get to Jesus because he's paralysed. So, um, he's got three great friends and they hatch a plan to, um, to get him to Jesus uh, they, they get to church, they realize there's a crowd in the way, so that they come up with this brilliant plan, and it's going really, really well. They've scaled the, the, um, the walls, they've dug through the roof, and he's, he's being lowered through the roof, and it's going so, so well. And it's almost like happening in slow motion, and the guy's just, imagine it was happening here, it's crazy. The guy was just being lowered through the roof, and he locks eyes with Jesus, and this is the moment. This is the moment this guy's been waiting for his whole life. His life is about to change forever. And Jesus starts to speak, and the man, he just can't believe it, like, this is it. And Jesus starts to speak, my child, you are, and the man, the paralyzed man's going, yeah, come on, Jesus, just say it. Just say it. Say it. Healed, healed, healed. Come on, healed. Just say it. You are forgiven. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> forgiven. Uh, thanks, Jesus. Um, that's great, but it's not what I was really after. Um, see, Jesus, uh, uh, these legs, they're not working. And uh, I've, got, I've got a more immediate problem. Uh, my legs, they're not, not working. And he's looking at his mates and they're gone. <laughs> and his mates are nodding, going, yeah, like, his legs, they're not working, Jesus. <laughs> and He's saying, I've got, I've got a more immediate problem. What Jesus is saying when he says your sins are forgiven is this. He says, I see you. I see your problems. I see your need. I see your suffering. I'm going to get to that. But please realize that a person's main problem is not their suffering, it's their sin. 
person's main problem is not their suffering, it's his sin. And sin, we, we don't like to talk about it that much and uh, often we think about sin as the, the bad behaviour, the, the lying, the lusting, the stealing, the, the outworking, um, the, the bad behaviour, but what Jesus is talking about here is not, it, it is that, but it's so much more than that. It's actually looking at, at God and saying, I just want to live my life without you. I want to live my life exactly how I want to live it. Um, so it's so much more, and, and often people are turned off when we start talking about sin because they think you're just trying to turn me into a superhuman but it's not just the bad things it's actually the the position of the heart saying i just want to live my life without god i just i don't want anyone to interfere with what i want to do and that jesus is saying is our main problem it's living in a world he's created without reference to him and he says that's our main problem and Jesus is not trying to condemn this man, but he's, what he's trying to do is actually get him to just go deeper. He's trying to get him to go deeper. And Jesus is saying, by coming and only asking for your body to be healed, you're not going deep enough. He says, You've actually, you're actually underestimating the depths of your longings. You're underestimating what it's going to take to satisfy the human heart. See, anyone who's paralyzed desperately wants to walk. Pretty sure this man would have been dying to walk. He would have pinned all his hopes on the possibility of walking again. Look at the desperation. Look at the desperate measures him and his friends took. It's just, it screams desperation. Climbing a wall, coming through a roof, that's desperation. It's, it's, it's crazily desperate. And I reckon his heart was saying, if only I could get that, I'd be okay. If I could walk again, I'd be set for life. I'd never be unhappy. I'd never complain. If I could walk, then everything would be okay. And Jesus is saying, my son, mistaken and it's harsh but it's true and Jesus says when I heal your body if, if that's all I do you feel like you'll never be unhappy again but I'm telling you if you wait three or four months the euphoria won't last you'll find yourself unhappy again because the roots of discontent in the human heart go so, 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 so deep. There's um, a journalist, her name's Cynthia Heimel, and she worked in New York City for a long, long time. And she came across lots of aspiring actors uh, in New York City, people who wanted to make it in showbiz. And um, she wrote, yeah, she was a journalist and she wrote this article that I think paints, um, illustrates this point really well. And so she's talking about struggling actors and actresses and she actually names quite a few of them, um, high profile actors. And she said, you know, before they became famous, they were just punching tickets and 
caffeine baristas and all that stuff you do when you're trying to get your big break. And when they were struggling, like all of us, they, um, they said, if only I could make it in the business, if only I had this or that, I'd be happy. They were like so many other people, stressed, driven, easily upset. But when they actually got the fame they'd been longing for, she said, they became insufferable, unstable, angry, manic. Not just arrogant, as you might expect, she says, worse than that. They were now unhappier than they used to be. She said, she says this, she says, I pity celebrities. No, I, I, I do. Um, they were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after, each one of them became famous. They wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing that we're striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their life bearable, had actually happened. And nothing changed. They were still them. And the disillusionment, she says, turned them howling and insufferable. She was sorry for them. They had the thing they thought would make everything okay. And it didn't. And she says this statement at the end, which is um, pretty crazy. She says, I think when God, she wasn't a Christian, she said, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on someone, he grants your deepest wish. So what Jesus is saying to the paralyzed man I'm not going to play a rotten joke on you. I'm not going to just heal your body and let you think that you got your deepest wish. He says, I, wa I want to go deeper with you. I want to take you deeper than that. Can we give Jesus a hand? Everyone's living for something. And our main problem is that we're living for something besides Jesus. Um, Rocky Balboa in the first Rocky movie, we all know, love that movie. And he, he turns to Adrian and he says, <laughs> he says, I just want to go the distance. Then I know, then I'll know I'm not a bum. And each one of us are looking at something saying, I I just want to go the distance. Then I know. Then I'll know I'm not a bum. <laughs> and whether it's success in a particular field, whether it's professional acclaim, whether it's a romantic partner, um, whether it's having a certain position in ministry, whether it's even getting up and walking, we're saying, if I have that, if I have my deepest wish, then everything will be okay. Could be power, could be approval, could be comfort, could be money, um, could be a political cause, it could be even family. You're looking at that one thing and you're saying, that will save me from oblivion, from disillusionment, from depression, 
from mediocrity. That thing will save me. You've made your wish into your saviour. And we never use that term, of course, but that's what's happening. It's a de facto saviour. And if you never get it, you're angry, you're upset, you're empty. But if you do get it, you're even more angry. You're even more upset, even more empty. There's an article in the New York Times I actually came across just last week. And it's titled, Who Will Listen to a Billionaire's Troubles? And it was saying how billionaires are actually the most unfortunate people in the world because they have just as much as many uh, troubles as we do, but no one actually wants to hear about it. So no one, no one will give them the time of day because they assume because you've got a billion bucks, you should have nothing to complain about. And it says, it says something, it says this, it says, um, who doesn't want to be a billionaire? A millionaire even, think of all the troubles that would simply melt away. Of course, we know deep down that money won't solve all life's problems, and billionaires, it seems, have problems too. One difference is no one is likely to feel sorry for them. And he says this, um, okay, I'm just trying to find it. Yeah, he says, the ultra-rich suffer from this same existential angst as anyone else. The difference between their angst and ours is that a billionaire can't indulge in the fantasy that money would make everything better. I love what he says here, and this is a psychologist who um, deals with billionaires every day and counsels them. This quote is incredible. He says, billionaires can look behind the curtain and see the wizard doesn't exist. Billionaires can look behind the curtain and see the wizard doesn't exist. And so it's easy to take that deepest desire and turn it into your saviour. And it's often actually a really, really good thing, right? So often people will say, no, you know, you you shouldn't. And people are left thinking, oh, what do you mean? I shouldn't work. I shouldn't have money. No, they're actually all good things. It's only when we make them an ultimate thing that they become a problem. Money's great, family's great, relationships are great. But when we make them an ultimate thing, when we look at that thing and say, that's going to save me, well, then it becomes a problem. And so the second point is, everyone has a de facto saviour. Everyone has a de facto saviour. Our deepest wish is a de facto saviour. And often it's that good thing that's turned into an ultimate thing. And people will often ask you, hey, what are you living for? And that's the wrong question to ask if you want to find out what your de facto saviour is. Because if someone um, were to ask me that and say, hey, what's your, what are you really living for? I'm like, man, I'm living for Jesus. So the better question to ask yourself and to ask someone else to, to reveal, well, what's your de facto saviour, is to ask, what is your worst nightmare? What, if it was taken away, 
would actually diminish your will to live? What if it was, what in your life, if it was taken away, would, would leave you in depression? What if it was taken away, would, would really hammer you? And if, if you can sit down and pray about that and think about that, then you'll begin to hone in on potentially a de facto saviour that you might have in your heart. And I did it the other day with my Connect Boys and it was really, really powerful because I actually sat down and realised, oh my goodness, there is something there that I've been worshipping um, for a long, long time. But if I hadn't asked myself, what is my worst nightmare, I would never have seen it. And so, everyone has a de facto saviour. And therefore, everyone is a slave. Everyone's a slave to that de facto saviour. Because anything you base your life on, anything you say, I've, I've got to have that to be okay, you're actually a slave to it. You're actually a slave to it because if you don't get it, you're guilty. And if someone blocks you from get it, you're, you're angry. And if anything threatens that thing, you are incredibly anxious. But you're actually a slave to it and, and that de facto savior, you, you actually worship it, whatever it is. Whatever it is, you will worship it. If you live for your career, for example, and you fail at your career, um, and you're a slave to your career, it'll punish you. Um, and if I can get the band up, it'll, it'll punish you. If, if you say, my, my career is everything, and then for some reason you lose it, like so many people did in the GFC actually, and, and multitudes and multitudes ended up committing suicide because their world just fell apart. Because the one thing they were looking at as their saviour slipped from within their grasp and it left them in pieces. Everyone's a slave. Because you say, I've got to do whatever it takes to get that thing. And, you, and when we think about, I was talking about sin before, sin, the actual, the practical outworking of sin, the bad behavior and stuff, is, is actually um, committed because we're a slave to that one thing we really want. So for example, to use the career example again, um, if you worship your career, you'll sacrifice your kids because your career is more important than your family. And so you'll sin against your children because your main, the ultimate thing is your career. And that's how sin actually starts to happen when you're worshiping a de facto savior. The fourth but Jesus if you have your career it'll punish you if you fail at it it can never forgive you if you fail at it it will demand that you die for it but Jesus, Jesus is the only saviour. Line them all up. Jesus is the only saviour. 
can say, if you fail me, I can forgive you. If you fail me, I can forgive you. If you fail me, I can forgive you. And Jesus is the only saviour who will die for you. All the other saviours demand that you die for them. Jesus is the only saviour who will die for you. None of the other saviours will. Can we thank Jesus here tonight? And many of us actually start going to church and we've got problems. And we, we've got to be aware that sometimes we're in church trying to get a boost, trying to get a bit of a hump so that we can leave these doors and go back to worshipping our de facto saviours. And the problem is, so often we're looking at something besides Jesus to be our saviour. And almost always, when you come to Jesus with your deepest wish, with your de facto saviour, he'll look at you and he'll say, my son, go a little deeper. Go a little deeper. Go a little deeper. Your deepest wish is not the problem. It's not a problem. Just as it wasn't wrong for the paralytic to want to get up and walk, that is not wrong. It is not a problem. Just like it, it wasn't wrong for the celebrity to want to succeed. But the fact that we thought getting that deepest wish would heal us, that our de facto saviour would save us, that is the problem. We've got to let Jesus be our saviour. Jesus at that moment had the power had the authority to heal that man's body right there and right then. And just as he could have done it for then, he could give you your deepest wish right now. But let me tell you, Jesus is saying, I don't want to play a rotten joke on you. I don't want to play a rotten joke on you. He says it's not nearly enough. Go deeper. You don't need someone who can grant your wishes. You don't need a wizard behind the curtain. You don't need a divine genie. We all need a savior. And there is no savior other than Jesus. He's the only one who can forgive us. No other savior can do that. It's the only thing that knowing that that savior, if you fail it, will forgive you. It's the only thing that will actually satisfy the discontent of the human heart. That's the only 